Hello, and welcome to Python Bytes, where we deliver Python news and headlines directly to your earbuds. This is episode 336, recorded May 16th, 2023. I'm Michael Kennedy. And I'm Brian Aachen. And this episode is brought to you by InfluxDB from InfluxData. We'll tell you more about them later. Be sure to connect with us over on fostedon.org. I'm at M. Kennedy. Brian is at Brian Aachen. And the show is at Python Bytes. The rights and status of the show are still undetermined, Brian, but I'm sure we'll figure that out someday. <laughs> See the last show to get the joke. And uh, <laughs> okay. join us over at pythonbytes.fm slash live, usually Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific time to be part of the show. Or you can catch also the, the older episodes there. Or, of course, on your podcast players. And with that, Brian, let's dig into some batteries. Okay. Well, uh, as we know, Python is the language of the batteries included. But there's, we also have lots of cool, cool extra packages on PyPI, actually quite a few. Um, and one of the things that I wanted to highlight was a few, just a handful of utilities uh, packages that are um, really kind of fun. And you probably knew about them, but maybe forgot. And we've covered some of these in the past. So uh, I wanted to highlight this article from uh, Martin Hines called uh, Python's Missing Batteries, Essential Libraries You're Missing Out On. And uh, the first project he talks about is Boltons, which is actually an amazing, it's an amazing package, but it, it's so big. Uh, the comment here is he could, he could probably do an entire article just on Boltons, and I think that's wrong. I think you could do an entire book on, on Boltons, and it would be a big book. I agree. There's a lot in there. Uh, but a few of the things that he highlighted were pretty, pretty cool that I kind of didn't know about. Um, Boltons has a JSON utils and a time utils and an iter utils that he's demo demoing. So with JSON utils, you can uh, just iterate with like a, a for line and JSON utils, JSON iterator, you can iterate through JSON elements. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty cool. I like that. Um, the time utils example was, uh, is a, uh, using a date range, time utils date range and, uh, iterating through days, uh, which is kind of neat. I didn't know you could do that. Kind of a cool idea to let me walk through days and get different day times. But anyway, there's a different step, a step size you can do. You can walk through each week or whatever. Uh, and then Iterutils um, has a, he's highlighting a couple things in Iterutils. One of them is Git path, where you, which isn't really like a, a file system path, but it's basically saying I've got a deeply nested uh, structure and I want to access it without having to do all the access functions. So it's a way to get access to deeply nested things. And then a uh, remap, which is neat. Um, remap uh, takes, a, takes a, a deeply nested structure and just changes something inside of it, which is kind of cool. Uh, I, want, I don't want to go through all of the details of this article, but a couple quick highlights. There's uh, highlighting the sh package where you can do uh, uh, shell, um, shell commands from Python in a fairly nice way. Uh, data validation, um, actually, val this is pretty neat. Um, there's Pedantic, of course, but if that's for like, which is awesome. But there's also this validators library, which is neat. And it can do things like uh, validate, making sure that email, you like validating emails or visa uh, card numbers or an IP address is all format, just validates strings are formatted correctly and things. Um, it's pretty neat. Cool. Um, and then the fuzz. Uh, is a is a fuzzy matching string fuzzy string matching library which is kind of cool uh, i wanted to uh, jump down 
debugging. There's a stack printer that has a, it's just basically a really nice um, stack trace that has, does the error messages, which is kind of cool. Uh, what else? For testing, you can freeze time with uh, the freeze gun uh, library. And then this, the, the, the last thing is kind of cool. I write a, com- a lot of command line applications and there's a, I would not have thought to look for this package called TQDM. I don't know what that stands for, but it does, uh, um, it does like, uh, what are these things? Progress bars would think for command line utilities. So TQDM comes from Taquatum, which means progress in Arabic. <laughs> That, of that course. Wouldn't have also <laughs> that wouldn't have I wouldn't have clued me in to go search for it. I love that package. There's a lot of cool stuff here. I use like TQDM is just it's, it's my go-to for this stuff. You know, there's a oh, lot really? of things like, oh, I need to go over, you know, millions of database records and make some change and do a test and then maybe, I don't know, update some of them. And that might take a while. I just did something where I had to do like a report on a bunch of stuff on the talk python courses and it took nine hours to uh, like go do a bunch of compute for a bunch of courses for each you know like an insane amount of uh, stuff and i ran that and you could just see i saw several things one it shows you the progress so you can see it doing progress but it also tells you the the per object per time so it'll say like processing you know 200 records per second Um, for example, as it goes through the list. And it also estimates the time, which is why after five minutes, I'm like, oh, this is going to take nine hours. I'm not going to wait for this. It's really nice. So can you use it if you don't really know how long something's going to take to begin with? Yes. And Or do you have to like kind of know, like, do you have to give it like it's 10% done or it's 20% done? No, it does it all automatically. And I don't really know how. I think some things it can figure out. Okay. And others, uh, yeah, I don't know how it can actually do that because, for example, on the example on the screen, it has a range from zero to hundred, right? And you can't ask the length of the range. Okay, right. But, but it um it somehow knows. <laughs> <laughs> well, I might play with that because right now I've got a I've got a, a application that command line thing that reboots an instrument and then waits for it to to finish, and I just have dots, and and it'd be kind of nice to have yeah. like a like a something like this. So. Yeah, my prior solution was, oh, let's put out a little dot every so often. Yeah. Oh, that's too many dots. Let's let's mod it out a little bit higher to like it. Maybe every 20 records we'll put a dot or <laughs> something like that. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah, so this is nice. You can just wrap an iterator in a TQDM and then loop over it and magic happens. Cool, we'll try it out. Yeah. All right, well, that's pretty awesome. Want to hear about more awesome things, Brian? Yeah, let's do awesome. Let's do some awesome, some polars. So polars is... Uh, as many things in Python are these days, is the the rustification, in a good way, of Python things. So it's kind of like pandas, but uh, redone in Rust with more of a fluent API uh, that allows it to be more database query engine-like. And so what I have for us today is the awesome pollers, a curated list of pollers, talks, tools, examples, and articles. Now, many of these awesome lists are extensions, and there are a few things in here, like it talks about the Python library, and you may not know there's actually a Rust library for pollers that you can directly use if you're integrating with Rust code, but also one for R, one for Node. It's got some things like uh, cheat sheets. Uh, if people want to go and uh, check out the cheat sheet, it's got actually a really nice visualization to show you what... like reshaping data means with concat or appending columns side by side from two data frames. 
in um, a different with a horizontal concat flag, which I think the visualization of these things is really nice. What do you think of this, Brian? I'm actually the visualization is what I'm I'm enjoying the most with this cheat sheet. That's nice. So yeah, it's really really nice, and then it has a bunch of tutorials and workshops. So if you um, are trying to get into Polars, uh, come over here. There's maybe six or seven different examples, a bunch of blog posts, <laughs> a whole bunch, how to integrate it with DuckDB or how it compares to DuckDB, and then a bunch of videos as well as people in the Polars community, right? Um, like Richie Vink, uh, who created it, but also uh, contributors, uh, if you can follow them and ask them questions. That's kind of a nice addition of like on social yeah. media, who do you follow? That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's super nice. So anyway, not a whole lot to go into it there, but um, yeah, really, really nice. People are into uh, Polars, put it here. Also, I kind of wanted to give it a shout out because Polars is fairly new. And if you've got something that integrates with Polars or builds on top of Polars in a way that itself is reasonable, you know, come over here and do a PR. I'm sure they're happy to... Uh, except it says contributions welcome exclamation point. So yeah, they're really get in here and contribute. Yeah. They're so welcome. <laughs> <laughs> you know what else is welcome? Our sponsor this week. So super happy to have a, a sponsor for the show. As we mentioned at the top, InfluxDB. So InfluxDB is all about the time series data. So this episode is brought to you by Python. Uh, this episode of Python Bytes is brought to you by Influx. Data, the makers of InfluxDB. InfluxDB is a database purpose built for handling time series data at a massive scale for real time analytics. So, developers can ingest, store, and analyze all types of time series data, metrics, events, traces in a single platform. Let me ask you a question How would boundless cardinality and lightning fast SQL queries impact the way you develop real time applications? Maybe make them real time, huh? InfluxDB processes large time series data sets and provides low latency SQL queries, making it a go-to choice for developers building real-time applications and seeking crucial insights. For developer efficiency, InfluxDB helps you create IoT analytics and cloud applications using timestamp data rapidly and at scale. It's designed to ingest billions of data points in real time with unlimited cardinality. InfluxDB streamlines building once and deploying across various products and environments from the edge, on-premise, and to the cloud. Try it for free at pythonbytes.fm slash InfluxDB. The link is in your podcast player show notes. Thank you to Influx Data and InfluxDB for supporting the show. All right, over to you, Brian. What's next? Well, this is a pretty quick one, but I wanted to... I know that a lot of people test with um, Selenium. Um, it's a... I know there's lots of other stuff you can do, like Playwright and everything like that. But still, Selenium's uh, heavily used, uh, and uh, I still have some tests in Selenium. And uh, well, there's a there has been a change, so I want to just make sure everybody is aware. Uh, if you um, there's a there's, here's an article called uh, "Running Headless Selenium in Python in 2023," and the the catch is basically if you're well, one if you're not running headless already. Um, why not? Uh, the headless is awesome. It, it can basically uh, you can run run through a web browser, but don't actually load. Don't open it. You just you run it behind. There's no wind anyway. It's faster, so use headless. But if you are already using headless, there's been a change. So the the change is let's go uh, down scrolling down. There's an example which is great. So Selenium four point eight point zero came out in January, and the old way to do things 
uh, was to to do you set up your web driver and you mark headless equals true. And you can do this with both Chrome and uh, Firefox had a little different setting, but it also had a headless equals true uh, setup. Um, and then you can run headless and it was awesome. They took away this dot headless. So don't do that anymore if you're do, using Selenium for eight or and above. The new way is, so for Chrome, you add an argument of headless equals new, uh, dash dash headless equals new. And it's really add argument. If you're listening to this, there's a new options dot add argument. And then uh, the same sort of thing with uh, Firefox. You just, it isn't a equals new. It's just dash dash headless. But this this shows you an example. Why did they do this? Well, it was there's some description of why there was like two, an old way and a new way. And then Chrome, Chromium had a, a new headless option that you can add. So we want to be able to do the, the new way. So they deprecated the old way to get people to use the new more powerful. And we're also linking to an article uh, from Selenium, which is, Kind of a funny title. So they wanted to get everybody's attention, so they knew. So they n- named the article "Headless is Going Away." Uh, yes, um, which is a funny name. Uh, and then subtitled it with "Now that we have your attention, headless is not actually going away; just the convenience method to set it in Selenium." So, I guess just a public service announcement: if you're using Selenium, you got to change your code to use the new Selenium 4.8. So that's it. Oh, you're on mute. So I am. I I do like it. Uh, I wonder though why why you have to pass the command line argument directly, and it doesn't just look like oh you said headless. That means in Chrome now pass dash dash mode this versus you know because it's almost the same but not the same across the browser platforms. Yeah, I think I I think it's because there's um there's different. I don't know. I I, I haven't looked through the explanation, but I think there's other options. So the it isn't necessarily just that they've changed the way you turn on headless, but there's more headless options. So they're just building it in yeah. so that you can pass in new flags. And I think Chromium might end up getting more more versions and later or something. I don't know. Yeah. The the browser space is a it's an interesting time, isn't it? Yeah. We fought through the browser wars, we've beaten back Internet Explorer six only to come back and have Chromium even more dominant uh, in certain ways. It is, it's interesting because like uh, as for a usability thing, I'm usually using Vivaldi now, but I use probably Vivaldi and Chrome for day-to-day use. But for testing, yeah, it's still it's still Chrome. I use, use Chrome and, uh, and Firefox. That's what I use Firefox for is still testing with Firefox. Anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Uh, you know, just a bit of follow-up on the previous... Uh, conversation about those different batteries that you talked about. I love our yeah. audience. There's so much cool stuff going on over there. So Blaze says, I wonder if Rich does anything with TQDM. And oh, yeah. if you want a definitive answer, how about Will McGugan in the audience says, TQDM has a Rich output option. Will obviously be in the creator of <laughs> Rich and many other awesome, awesome things there. So um, nice follow-up. Awesome. We've turned into the water cooler of Python. <laughs> we sure have. All right. I have one more thing to share with you all. Let's jump into it. And that is Gracie. So Gracie's an interesting project. It's a little bit like your first topic, Brian, in that it it has a bunch of kind of utility features. And this one is around consuming APIs. So not creating APIs, but writing clients that talk to them, specifically around HTTPX, which is one of the absolute go-to ACP libraries for doing sort of modern async 
style of APIs in Python, right? Yeah. So Gracie, it says, Grace, gracefully manage your API interactions. Gracie helps you handle failures, logging, retries, throttling, and tracking for all of your HTTP interactions. And it uses HTTPX under the hood. It lets you do the, uh, let Gracie do the boring stuff and you can focus on your app is the selling point here. So this is pretty cool. It's not super well known. It's got like 180 stars and it's it's an interesting library that has a lot of cool functionality. I'm it feels like it could use a little bit more polish, but it's still still quite neat. So let me give you some ideas here. So what you do is it's um, basically you model your API interactions at, through a class structure. It's not quite a hierarchy, but kind of use classes to to uh, come up with it. So you can come up with an endpoint here, and then you create something that derives from the the great uh, API base class, right? Give it a URL, and then you give it a bunch of settings. And the settings are where like kind of the useful stuff is. So, for example, you can say, "I would like to log the request as it's going out the door, but only in debug. I'd like to log the response, and that one a little more frequently at the info level. And then you can have a custom message that goes out there." And you also can have uh, a parser that will parse the response as a set of functions. The first example you see here just says, by default, just given any object called .json on it, or given the request called .json on it, right? So yeah. that's kind of handy. But what you can do if you go down a little bit, custom validators, is you can actually say, by default, just try to convert it to a JSON response. But if the status code is not found, then do something else. And you can have a series of different status codes. So if it, by default, use this parser, but if uh, it's like a 400 bad request, then we need to parse it as something else. And that could even be like convert it from, you know, maybe in a success case, you get this particular, say, Pydantic model back. But in an error case, you have a totally different structure and you might want to parse it differently into a different Pydantic model, something along like that. So you can do a lot of cool stuff uh, like that there. And yeah, and then you just give it give it the functions that you call that basically invoke the API. And of course, because it's based on HTTPX, you can await calling, calling those functions. So yeah, anyway, it looks, it ends up with a pretty uh, clean model for using it. What do you think? Well, yeah. It, it, It'll take some time to get your head around it because of the class-based thing. But I, uh, it's all stuff that you're going to have to develop anyway. So having somebody else do the work, it's pretty Yeah, cool. I, Yeah, there's some nice examples of like throttling. And um, th this might, um, might be interesting to you, Brian, is it has the ability. There's a bunch of different things. It has the ability to replay certain data, right? So you can also say we're only allowing certain, you know, by default, any 200 category status code is considered success. You can say, no, for this one, it has to be a dot created, like HTTP status dot created, not like yeah. 200 or, or something like that. Or you can give it either okay or created, right? You give it a, a set of options. That's pretty cool. You can add custom validation. You talked about validators at uh, your beginning as well. And if you're not using Pydantic or something that kind of does its own custom validation, you can you can still even add more stuff. Like not only does this have to be a string, but it has to be I don't know an email of, of this type or whatever, right? Like uh, of this, yeah. uh, say the domain of our company, right? Something like that. So you can add these custom validators, and it comes with a retry, built-in retry for 
how do you handle the retries? How many attempts? Uh, what do you do in terms of logging? You know about retries and, and failures. What do you do if it, you know you can say I want to retry three times, and if it none of them work, I don't care. Just keep going. Don't break my application, or please do. <laughs> don't you know raise an exception? You might say, well, why would you ever not want to break it? Like maybe you're trying to write to some sort of audit log <laughs> to say this happened. And if the server that just records what happened goes down, you don't want to start crashing your app, right? There's like scenarios where you might not really care about that. Also throttling, which is pretty neat. You can say any time that the URL contains, the example is a Pokemon thing. So it has you know a regular expression for Pokemon. Uh, I want maximum 10 requests for every one and a half minutes. And then you could actually, it has a cool output too. You know, if you print out just the, the rule it says, which is an object, it says 10 requests per 90 seconds for URLs matching this regular expression, which is kind of nice. Oh, cool. And yeah, the final thing, some, I don't really know where it is in here, but yeah, you can also have it throw certain exceptions. Um, so how, you know, how does that parser, parser type scenario for different HTTP status codes I told you about? So you can say, if it's a bad request, please throw, you know, some exception class that you come up with. Right. Um, so instead of just saying bad request, it could potentially have more details. You might be able to parse information into it and then raise that exception. There's there's some pretty neat things. And the final thing, um, by the way, rich integration right there, it requires you to install rich if you want um, fancy output on. It'll tell you sort of it's uh, it'll report on how it, it's um, interacted with the API endpoint. So you're going to do like a bunch of processing. You know, I told you about like, I'm going to transform a bunch of things. I use TQDM. Like if you're going to do that, at the end, you could ask, well, how'd it go? And it'll give you this like summary report of how much success and how much failure and what's the average latency and status codes and requests per seconds and all of these. And it'll do that in text form or in rich style. Final hmm. thing, it will record and replay API interactions for testing purposes. So if you want... You know, if it's really tricky to mock out some complex interaction, you'd say, well, I want it to be as exactly close to real as possible. You could just one time do those API calls and then replay them back, put it either record mode or replay mode. And the backend that stores that could be a SQLite database or a MongoDB database that's automatically integrated. And you just give it that and say, when I talk to the server, remember what you did and, and store it over here. And then you can play that back for testing. Oh, wow. Cool. So, yeah. Anyway, people can check this out and and see what they think. But I think um, yeah, so. It almost looks like cool. it was a a system pretty much designed. Well, uh, one of the the obvious use cases is to build a custom uh, custom thing to test your application uh, because there's a bunch of, like all, all the utilities there to to really interrogate something and uh, absolutely. Yeah, you get that report and you get the replay uh, record replayability. Yeah. The logging, yeah, a lot of that stuff is there. It's it's pretty neat. Yeah, cool. Hmm. Nice. All right, well, that's it for that one. Yeah, I guess that's all of our items, isn't it? It is. And uh, for extras, I don't have any extras. Do you have any extras? I do. I just have one, and then we'll get to our joke. So for the extras, do you know what, Brian? Look at this. Look at here. It is. You got in the App Store. Yay! I got in the iOS App Store too. So finally, finally, finally. The Talk Python mobile apps are out on all of the app stores. So go get them. Just uh, talkpython.fm slash apps, I believe, will take you there. Redirect over to the training site. But uh, yeah, they're available on iPhone, Android, tablets, 
um, iPad and um, Android tablets as well. Maybe more coming. We might have even desktop apps coming pretty soon, depending on how successful we are with all this. But um, yeah, so this is this is out. People can check it out. And as a way to celebrate finally getting this done after four months of work, first of all, um, wrote a blog post. Maybe I'll add it during the link in the notes. Yeah, but I'll throw it in for people. And talked about some of the design choices about you know how we ch- how and why we chose things like Flutter and so on to as the mobile app. Uh, framework. But the one thing for people to know out there, and this is a bit timely, is if you download and install the mobile app before, what day today is Tuesday, May 16th, if you do that before May 22nd, so download the app before May 22nd, inside the app only, the up and running with Git course, which is normally $39, is completely free to sort of celebrate the launch of the app. So you go in there, go find the courses, Go to the free section, join the Git course, and you'll have it forever, not just for a little time. But the only way to get it is to download and install the app, which is free, and then go put the the Git course into your account. I just downloaded it. I'm opening it right now. So awesome, awesome. Uh, So one of the things I'm excited about this is because I mean, when I'm doing a a course, like not giving a course, but learning from one, I do like to have it on my computer screen. But there's often times where I've got like time to kill, so I'd like to sort of listen to some of the conversation and listen to it. And, and yeah, I'm going to look at some of the stuff on my phone, but a lot of it is I'm kind of following along, but I'm listening and then I'll go through and watch the same stuff later on the computer and, and walk through it. So I really like this addition of having a, a mobile app. This is pretty cool. So thanks. Thanks so much, Brian. Yeah. There's a couple of things why you might need it. People are like, well, why don't you just watch it in the web? Like, especially on iPhone, you can't get rid of that navigation section <laughs> around the the browser so you end up watching like a postage stamp size thing which is not ideal um it won't auto advance because ad companies are evil and ios blocked them from playing ads all the time which you know gobbles up everyone else as well unfortunately okay so on your app it'll uh, just jump to the next thing then yeah it just keeps playing smoothly as as you would imagine and then the other thing that's important is you can download content offline like if you're going on a trip or on the train or some people even use it if they work at, you know, like government institutions that have like high levels of um, security and they want to like research labs and stuff. If they want to be able to take the course at their work, but their work is like super restrictive about what they can interact with. Um, you could, you know, install, download a whole course onto your tablet, set it next to you and, and nice. watch it at your work. Yeah. Perfect. So there's, there's, a, those are the reasons why it, why it exists. Okay. But anyway, long time coming. Super happy about it. That's my extra. Cool. Download it. Get the get get the get course. <laughs> All right. Well, how about a joke? Ah, oh, this is a good one. So you may wonder, you may have friends who are like, Brian, you do Python, you do C. You wrote a book on PyTest. Like, how how did you get so good at this? <laughs> so that's this kind of riffs on that theme. There's uh two uh two developers here. First one she says how do you code so well? The, the expert developer, she says, practice. And the first person didn't really hear, like, it must be an innate gift, a gift from God. It's practice. I'll <laughs> never understand how some people are so talented. A mystery, practice. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. What do you think? Uh, well, this is great. And it applies to so many things, of course. But um, <laughs> uh, my, one of my daughters is dealing with this right now. She's in, uh, She's been doing for about a year doing aerial silks um aerial arts and she's 
she's working on it and exercising and stuff every day. And, and then, um, and it was really hard at first and now she's just pretty good. And ha- so many people have said, Oh, you're just naturally talented at that. She's like, it makes her mad because it's, it's not natural. I just, I've had to work at it. Yeah. Coding as well. So obviously, obviously. Yeah. yeah. This is, it's not just coding, but coding certainly. Yeah. Podcasting, so, it, writing blog posts, everything around uh, what everything. we do practice. Yeah, absolutely. Practice. Nice. Nice way to end it. So good job. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very uplifting. We'll end it on a growth mindset today, Brian. Thanks for being here. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks everyone for coming. Bye.